Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Don Hewitt filling in for Ballsy, Michael Ball. Uh, I think he's been in Montreal for maybe half an hour. Don't forget Sports Cage. Brought to you by spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. And the good news is Ballsy will be joining us a little later on on the show. Uh, first of all, the Rough Riders, of course, just uh, maybe an hour, a couple hours ago, released their depth chart. Uh, joining me, of course, is Sean Kleisinger known in our circles as Zinger. So the big news, Duke Williams, he's uh, going to be playing tomorrow night. Uh, Of course, he missed last Saturday's game in Edmonton with a wonky ankle, but he will be playing uh, against the Alouettes, the 0-2 Alouettes uh, Thursday. Mm. Uh, Cody Fajardo, uh, that's a little scary, isn't it, Zinger, that he's going to be wearing a left knee brace tomorrow. Well, I'll tell you what, that's not ideal. Two games in the year and your uh, quarterback has a knee brace on, uh, your starting center is uh, gone. I don't want to be negative Nelly or anything, but uh, those are those are two significant things and it's nothing to shy away from. And uh, another thing, this is going to be my last negative comment before I talk positive, but I'm also looking at the right tackle position this week as well on the offensive line. The Ty Rogers... That was three or four penalties, I think, last week. Four, maybe maybe yeah. five. Something, yeah, four it penalties. Four. Uh, uh, number sixty-one, Campbell. He's in the lineup this week, and on the depth chart, he's actually slotted in right behind Rogers. So I wonder what kind of leash Mister Natai Rogers has, especially if he starts getting penalties like he did last week. We've heard Craig Dickinson say after the game, and also on the Craig Dickinson uh, Craig Dickinson show on Monday. He basically said, you know, it's going to come to the point where I'm just going to have to start pulling guys and benching guys and and start putting them behind other players on the depth chart. So maybe that is one position that we could uh, possibly look at going forward where he does something like that. Because like I said, uh, we can't have another four penalty performance from our right tackle this week. Well, you're right about that. Jamal Campbell actually is the only backup uh, tomorrow night on the Rough Rider offensive line. Logan uh, Bandy gets his first ever CFL start replacing uh, veteran Dan Clark and we're all cheering for Dan Clark uh, to be back before the end of the season. I guess we'll see how that goes. Uh, if you take a look at uh, on the defensive side as far as changes are concerned, it looks like uh, Charleston Hughes has uh, some problems with a shoulder and elbow. He did not practice yesterday. He is not playing in Montreal. Keon Adams of course, the second-year man will get his first start uh, for Saskatchewan at defensive end. Uh, Malcolm Lee, who was a recent pickup, is uh, getting his first uh, uh, 
playing time for Saskatchewan. Uh, Lee played for the Stampeders, a former Kansas Jayhawk. So I, I think, like you said, uh, you know, Zinger, it's going to be a, a, a very uh, interesting game because the Rough Riders only had one practice. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not ideal, especially going. This is the longest like road trip that. Uh, they're going to have this year outside of obviously they're going on way out on the east coast so that's obviously a little further but going out to Montreal in the short week is is uh, not ideal the good thing for the riders though when you look at the starting lineup tomorrow on defense especially every single body in that lineup is uh, the same starter who played last week against Edmonton so that's a positive G- uh, get some cohesiveness going on there You've got Robertson Marino Lanier, Leonard on the D-line, they're all back once again. Dean, Sankey, Moncrief, they're back. Uh, And then in the secondary, uh, all the starters are intact. So knock on wood there, I don't want to jinx anything here. But uh, uh, it's always promising when you can start building back-to-back games with the same starting lineup and uh, gain some confidence going forward. Right, so in a nutshell, in Williams, Lee, Campbell, Adams, out. Webb, Hughes, Clark, and fullback LaBelle. Of course, uh, a lot of people really happy uh, with the game that uh, Jamal Morrow played Saturday night in Edmonton. In fact, yesterday he was a CFL top performer of the week after uh, enjoying a 154-yard game from the line of scrimmage. He had 17 carries for 126 yards, uh, rushing the football and the touchdown. Let's hear from Jamal Morrow. (laughs) I mean, it was good. I mean... It definitely, you know, it was good to see it. I mean, it's a solid team effort, though. You know, at the end of the day, shout out to the guys, you know, the O-line up front. I mean, it was all all kudos to them. But, you know, it's definitely rewarding to see that, you know. So, you know, it's just the beginning, you know, and it's kind of something you can stack on for the rest of the season. I mean, it's definitely tough. I mean, he's been a, a staple since I've been here, you know, kind of just leading, you know, the whole O-line and even the running backs sometimes as well. So, it's definitely tough, you know, to see him go down. But at the same time, we know, you know, um, Bandy's coming up next, you know, and we're ready to go, and, you know, we'll just be ready to go. But we're definitely going to play for him, you know, and, you know, throughout this whole season. You know, like I said, it's complete faith in Bandy, so, you know, we're, we're, we'll be all right, you know, it's excited to move on with it. How's your body on a short week? Because you, uh, you uh, ran physical. Like yeah, I mean, <laughs> it definitely felt good. I mean, Coach gave us those, those extra days off was, was was actually nice. So, for that, it was always good, you know, getting the tubs, you know, getting some couple massages and, you know, keep on, keep on the treatment. But, yeah, it'll be good. How do you feel about this? Like, you probably could have walked down the street from your guy and nobody knew, knows who you are. Now you got all these mics in your face. Patience pays off. You've waited a long time for this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something, you know, you work for. You know, it just, I mean, Coach Dickie says, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's been a it's been a three-year process. And so, you know, just kind of taking advantage of every opportunity. And, you know, like I said before, you know, it's just, just the beginning. You know, I just want to. I want to not, not, not just be like this a one-time thing. I want to make this a consistent thing. So, you know, it's just taking it one day at a time, you know, and staying on top of everything, you know, being the best I can every each and every day. When you look at this Montreal team, what, what do you see when you turn it on? Yeah, I mean, they're a physical and, you know, disciplined bunch. I mean, their record doesn't show what they you know, what the team is capable of. I mean, they they really could be the opposite and be 2-0 and at the same time. So, we know, like, what, you know, we know who they are as a team, and so, you know, it's a short week, but we'll be ready to go. You know, just super excited to get out there. You know, just um, you know, I think it's the home opener, right? So yeah, the fans will be out. So yeah, they'll definitely be. You know, it's exciting to go out there and play against. And like I said before, I mean, this is really just the this the beginning. You know, I don't want to make this a one time thing. I want to be, you know, make it be a, make a consistent thing out of it. And so, you know, that's all. That's all it is. You know, just taking it one day at a time. You know, not trying to 
You know, no, no, no one to get too high, no one to get too low on things like this. Mostly it's just getting healthy, you know, getting healthy, you know, and everybody getting, you know, hopefully the playbooks, you know, it's pretty simple. So we go out there, you know, and just go out there and play fast. Um, and that's, that's the main thing, you know, go out there, play fast and have a good time, have fun doing it. You talk about simple. You got a new center. You have confidence in him, like you said, but he mm -hmm. is new. So you have to adjust the playbook accordingly in terms of simplifying things a bit for the young guy? Oh, I mean, no. I mean, we'll have everything full, full go, you know. And I know, you know, like I said, we have confidence in Batty. You know, we know what he can do and what he can bring to the table. And he showed it in the preseason as well. So I'm just super excited for him to go out there, you know, play his first game as a starter, you know, and go out there and play. And all the best to Jamal Morrow tomorrow night in Montreal. On the other side, we'll hear from Ryder Broadcasting legend, and that's legend times two, John Lynch, a sports cage on 620 CKRM continues. Shohei Otani is Wednesday's sports cage clutch performer. And yeah, what an incredible performance Tuesday night from the two-way star Shohei. He had a pair of three-run homers, and he set a career high with eight RBIs, but it still simply was not enough for the scuffling Angels, who lost 12-11 to to Kansas City in 11 innings. So uh, that kind of sucks. You hit two, three run dingers and you still lose the ball game must have been a long night for Shohei that's your sports cage clutch performer for this Wednesday and it's brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park your Loki your uh, Loki <laughs> how about local not Loki Massey Ferguson Challenger Rogator Gleaner and Fent Dealer call 781-1077 now on sports cage we're joined by broadcasting legend John Lynch and when I say legend he started covering the Rough Riders on radio way back in 1969. Who else is around that started covering the Riders in 69? Uh, John will be 85 in September. He's still full of pith and vinegar, and he's right on top of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, welcome to Sports Cage, John. Great pleasure to be here, Donnie. Talk to you again. So... You've got to be happy because this afternoon the Rough Riders announced that Duke Williams will play in Montreal. <laughs> I'm glad to see that because I wondered about a guy who does backflips and then said he's got to, uh, uh, can't play football because he's got ankle problems. <laughs> Can get away with that. But I hope he's healthy. I hope they didn't have to coerce him into it. I mean, they're paying him 250 to 275 to 300 more, like 275, I understand, a year. So he's got to come out and come up big and show us what he can do. Well, of course, as, as you know, the writer said he, he did turn his ankle in practice, so we don't know whether he did injure himself uh, doing the backflips, but he did pretty good backflips. I mean, he tried yeah, for... Yeah, but is that a smart move for a guy, a professional wide receiver to do? Well, I think, you know, he might have been trying for the Olympics because he was really trying some difficult backflips, but... <laughs> sure well, was. Let's just say that if he did hurt his ankle doing that, and we, we don't know that he did, 
I'm sure he won't do it again. Put it that way. That's so, right. so uh, when we you better run. <laughs> yeah. So when we take a look at Saskatchewan playing down in Montreal uh, tomorrow night, uh, Rough Rider quarterback Cody Fajardo said just recently he thinks this 2022 Rough Rider team has the makings of being the best team that he's been on here in Saskatchewan. What do you think? I agree with him 110%. I agree with him 110%. Very good football team. Got it all going for them. They went all out to get this team, put it all together. And uh, I like what I see, that defensive line. I love it. It's really putting a lot of pressure on uh, quarterbacks. And that linebacker crew of ours, oh, that is unbelievable. So we're in good shape right now. Uh, we got to get that offense going a bit better now. we got a bit of a problem with, uh, with uh, Dan on the lineup. But I think the kid, Banty, Logan Banty, is going to do real well, don't you, at center? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're very confident in, in Logan Bandy, and, and the good news is Logan Bandy is very confident in himself, he said. That's, yeah, he, he said. I think he's going to be another one. They're great centers, and the, the tradition of Rough Rider, great center with uh, Ted Ernest, you know them all, eh? They're, Jeremy O'Day, oh, God, goes back a long way. Mike Anderson, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, it's just unbelievable. The great centers of Rough Rider, the ball has had. Some teams have great people at certain positions, no matter who they are. The Calgary Stampeders, as we discussed the other day, since 1948, when I first started watching them, have always had good running backs. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, about the same time, have always had good centers for some reason. <laughs> That's true. Now, you mentioned Jeremy O'Day as the general manager. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a, one of the best general managers in the CFL. What do you think, John? Agree with me 100%, and he's going to prove it to us all by taking us to a winning Grey Cup at beautiful old Mosaic Stadium there on uh, November the 18th. So, I mean, if you take a look at the West, uh, we're all hoping that uh, November 20th, I think it is, Saskatchewan will be in the Grey Cup game. Do you think uh, Winnipeg is still the team to beat in the West, John? Yeah, I really do, Don. Um, I think that's a hell of a coach they got today there. Or not today, whatever his name. Um, I, I, I think they're going to be a team to beat. They're not as strong as they were last year or the year before, but they got a coaching staff that can make things happen and make guys who aren't really that good play like superstars. And that's when you got a good coach who can make the ordinary Orvilles play like superstars. And that's what they got there. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to play and, and, and win. I think they're going to get real tough competition from the Calgary Stampeders. I hate to say that, but I hate them. You know that. And I hope us. I'm really going for us to win all these games at home between now and Labor Day and get off the point where really we're eight or nine wins. Then, as you know, after Labor Day, I think we've got two games at home and the rest on the road and only what, seven or eight games more left. So, And then you go to October. It's pretty all uh, holidays for us. It's a buy. So if we can get to, get to Labor Day with eight or nine wins, I think we're in good shape. I think the team is going all out for that. They're off to a great start, and I think they'll do it again in Montreal. Okay, that's that's good to hear. Now, tomorrow night, of course, they're taking on the 0-2 Montreal Alouettes. They sort of faded on offense towards the end of their first game in Calgary after controlling a lot of the game prior. And then, of course, they, the Cote, the Montreal plays kicker, misses basically a chip shot to win the game for Montreal uh, last week in Toronto. So are the Alouettes a lot better They've got a lot of injuries, but are they a lot better than, than 0-2, John? Yeah, I think they are. I really do think they are. They are better than 0-2. They seem to give those games away. 
that one in Toronto, they were ahead 24-17. I don't know what happened to the quarterback, but it looked like our good friend Mr. Harris was throwing the ball directly to that defensive back of the Argos to make the game better. He caught the ball, ran in. Nobody laid a hand on him. Nobody went after him, even even Harris. And that made the score even better. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't know. I, I think that they've lost some real tough ones. But they have a good football team there. Harris is a good quarterback, been around nine years, you know. John, just on a closing note, you, as we said uh, at the beginning of this interview, you are 85 in September. I can tell all the listeners and all the good folk uh, here in Saskatchewan that you still live and breathe Saskatchewan Rough Riders. John, you, you're still going strong at 85, following them on a daily basis. Is that crazy? No, I think it's good. Yeah. It's good because, you know, some people, uh, when they get older, they start, talking about aches and pains and different things that's going on in their lives, and you're talking nothing but football. That's right. That's right. I, that, but I don't, know. It's been, I don't know if it's been good for me or not. Uh, they've broken my heart a lot of times. They've been to 19 great cups, but uh, only won four of them, you know, and that's what bothers you and bothers me too. John? But this year, I think for what? sure they're going to get there. I just that These guys are clever people running this football team, and, They'll do what is needed to make it happen. John, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on Sports Cage. Good talking to you, Donnie. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Don Hewitt filling in for Ballsy. Uh, Michael Ball is down in Montreal with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He took the team uh, charter flight uh, earlier today down to La Belle uh, Province. And uh, the good news is we will be talking to Ballsy uh, later in the show. Well, the Shaq is back. Uh, Shaq Evans, of course, in 2019, he, he had a great year, 1,334 yards in receptions with five touchdowns. Uh, last year, he only had 224 yards receiving, which is crazy. Of course, he only played seven games because of his injury. But already in 2022, uh, the Shack has 173 yards, so he's almost uh, caught up to his uh, 2021, and he's looking forward to playing the Alouettes in Montreal. Yeah, the the one in the fourth quarter, you know, that's a drill that we work at least once or twice a week, every week with uh, Coach Moore. It's called a distraction drill where we run uh, across each other and then put our hands in front of each other's face, and you just got to focus on the ball. So um, so we work that every day. So that was, was taking the drill to the field, and... Um, I felt him coming, but I knew that as long as I kept my eye on the ball that he wasn't going to get there. And I just, you know, it, it, it was pretty easy because it's something that we do every day in practice. So it was definitely preparation that prepared me for that moment. On the sidelines, down the sidelines, you ran a, ran a cold jump ball. Yeah. Take me through that. Like when you're running, you know, you're looking at your situation yeah. on the field first and then looking for the ball. Just take us through that play. Yeah, I knew that was second down. And uh, I kind of had a flashback of 2019 when we were – on second down and we needed a big play because we were down 14-0 and we were it was right before the half and you know they went up to me and I made a big play so I was just thinking about that and when the ball's in the air you know the, the mindset you have to have is that it's your ball and whatever it takes whether you have to tug on his jersey because he's tugging on yours he's pushing on you so you're pushing back and once the ball's in the air you know I just go up with with that confidence that I'm going to come down with it and I knew we needed it so that just that just uh, took my concentration to a different level because I knew that we needed the play. Confidence a big yeah. There. Yeah. With yeah. You look like the old Shaq, the yeah. Shaq. Yeah. Definitely a plan with a lot more confidence. You know, last year, 
definitely added that motivation having an off year and, and being injured and things like that. And then I just know the work that I put in uh, to prepare for this season. So that, that gives me the confidence. I mean, some people may mistake it for cockiness or whatever, but I just think you, you earn the confidence that you, that you can have. And I, I feel like I've earned that confidence coming into this season. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us have, and you can tell our whole group is playing with confidence. A lot of stuff. I mean, Cody came out there to California, and we got a couple of route sessions in and things like that. But it's a lot of stuff, you know, people don't see. You know, a lot of people only see the results on Saturdays or Thursdays or Fridays when we do play. But it's a lot that goes into the months leading ahead. You know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, weight room, getting tired, wanting to quit, some waking up days where you just don't feel like working out and things like that. So it's a lot of work that goes in. But once you, once the thing is, I always look forward to or that keeps me going is moments right now that the games and it's like okay if I put this work in now then it will be easier and I'll have confidence when when the games come you hear it every year next man up you know uh, at the end of the day you know we prepare we're all professionals and uh, you just have to be ready when your when your number's called you never know when it can happen I always think back to when my rookie year 2018 I didn't play the first game and then next thing I know the next game I'm starting so it's, it's something you've got to be ready for and, and and we have confidence in everybody on our team everybody on our offense and Especially in the receiver room, I feel like we have a dynamic receiver room. So when somebody goes down, it's never going to be like too much of a drop off because we all we all push each other each and every day to be the best that we can be. It's just how I guess it's just early season stuff, like things we just got to things we're missing, like little things that we're missing. And I feel like every week we're going to get better. And like you said, yeah, I, there's definitely been plays left out there, just not for me, for Duke, for Mitch, for for Justin, there's, there's always going to be plays out there that you want to get back. And I think that it's just a result of it being early in the season. I think once we get to game, you know, six, seven, eight, you'll see those plays become routine for us. I mean, I think our, yeah, that's, the, that's our biggest problem right now is just our discipline. We have the talent. I feel like we're, we're close, the closest other team that we've been since I've been here. And I just think that a lot of us just are tough and we have that, uh, that don't want to take no, you know, S-H-I-T mentality. <laughs> So, but it's, it's something we have to just learn to, you know, just hone in because at the end of the day, it's not going to help us on the field. I was like during like arguing with referees or arguing with other teams. It's like it's not going to help us win games. So I think each and every week we'll get better at that. And uh, I think we as a team, we need to get together and just talk about it, not just the coaches. I think when you when you're accountable as a team, that that definitely helps you. With a new center in there, might we see more of a quick game uh, from you guys uh, get the ball out faster? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you typically might think. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to say too much on here about our, our game plan and things like that. But I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's always going to be tough when you're replacing a guy like Dan Clark. Dan Clark was a huge part of our team. It. it I've never been like hurt more about an injury than you know, when I seen Dan go down because I've never played a game without without him. So it was hard to, to see him uh, go down because he's he's such a great guy and and a great teammate and he's one probably the, my my favorite teammate that I've played with and I told him that before. And of course that is uh, Shaq Evans uh, talking about a very good start to the season for himself. We said the Shaq is back, and uh, so is the arc on Cody Fajardo's passes because he's throwing some some better long balls that Shaq can get underneath and uh, he's making the reception so we look forward to uh, a continuation of the Shaq is back. Now of course a huge hole for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders losing a veteran center Dan Clark uh, to Really an awful injury and really bad luck Saturday night in Edmonton. And I think Dan realized, uh, you know, afterwards just how many uh, players on his team care about him, how the coaches care about him. 
and all the fans care about him. Obviously, his family cares about him. I will say this. Dan Clark is the most loved member of the Saskatchewan Roughriders right now. He's sort of, I'd call him the Roger Aldag of his era. And Roger Aldag, Bob Poley, they were loved and revered. And guess what? Dan Clark is too. Uh, we can certainly, and we certainly are hoping somehow that Dan Clark can get back into the lineup towards the end of the 2022 season. Now, uh, Logan Furland, of course, uh, is uh, becoming a veteran already on the Saskatchewan uh, Rough Rider offensive line. He will be starting in his usual left guard spot tomorrow night in Montreal. And, and Logan knows uh, he has to pick up some slack with uh, Dan out of the lineup. Seeing anyone go down is, is tough, but especially that. A uh, really good friend of mine, right? We're like brothers, so... It's uh, it's heartbreaking, right? It didn't even feel like a win at the end of that. You're, uh, you're, that's all you're thinking about at the end. So it's tough, but you know, it's it's next man up, and, and that's the mentality for this. It's something we say a lot in the uh, in the in the low line room. So um, that's just what it is. Kind of like a motto to kind of play for Dan or do something for Dan now. Absolutely, absolutely. I think all the guys kind of have it in their mind that uh, that's who we're playing for. It gives a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, extra motivation for the games and. Uh, just knowing he's going to be watching, he's got our backs, and uh, he'll for sure be helping us out throughout the week. So who's the big dog on the old line now? There's always been somebody that led the way for everybody. It's always uh, always how it works is the center's the new big dog. So that'll be Bandy. He's the new big dog, and uh, we're all looking up to him. And But we also have his back. We're, we're five guys on the field, or six if we're in uh, any big personnel, and uh, five acting as one. So How can you help him yourself? How I can help him is just communicating. Um, being beside him, helping ID fronts, uh, just walking him through plays when we go to the sideline, maybe just, just being in his ear and being there for him if he needs it. You have to make that transition once last year when you played in Hamilton. How difficult of a transition is that from uh, all of a sudden you starting to center? No, it's very tough. A lot of people underestimate it. that They've never played center. It's uh, it's a huge transition. Um, you're, you're thinking about a lot more things and you feel the pressure of the team on your shoulders. You're literally the guy, the first hand on that ball. So. Uh, you feel a lot of the pressure, and we're just going to try to take that off of, off of Bandy, uh, you know, till obviously Dan's healthy. Uh, he's for sure the the dad of the team, and not not just the O line, the whole team. And he's been here a long time, and uh, just the the advice he brings is all the 13 years built up. So uh, no, he he's definitely laid that foundation and continues to lay that. Uh, of course, I'm going to try to try to lead the guys and and be there when anyone needs it. I'm, I've always been not as much of a vocal leader. I've been kind of a, a leader by example, so I'll continue to do what I do and, and be there when anyone needs it. I mean, really, nothing changes. Uh, we Maybe a little bit more communication, just so everyone's on the same page. But uh, other than that, nothing really changes. We're going into the same as every other game. You know, there's no question about it that Logan Furland is uh, really coming on at left guard for the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He graded out extremely well uh, last season in the 2021 year. In fact, even even Dan Clark said, who won the, you know, the lineman, offensive lineman award for Saskatchewan, even he said, well, let's be honest, uh, Logan Furland graded the best in, in the films that the coaches look at, but of course, uh, there's no doubt about it who the leader is on that Saskatchewan Rough Rider offensive line. It is Dan Clark, and because of his leadership, dogged determination, and 100% effort at all times, 
he still got the nod as the top offensive lineman for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and nobody, absolutely nobody, can argue with that. Of course, uh, you know, uh, Logan Bandy is, uh, you know, going to fill in for Dan Clark, and I think he's going to fill in well. Okay, as the Riders continue to get ready for uh, tomorrow night's game in Montreal, let's hear from the head coach, Craig Dickinson. Elbow bugging him a little bit. He could have played, but he's... He's beat up pretty good, so we wanted to give him uh, a week off and uh, and try to heal him up. He's he's legitimately injured, and and um, you know we feel like Adams has had a good week of practice, so we're going to address the healthier guy and the guy that's fresh. If you played on Saturday, would Hughes be able to go, or is it more? No, I think it's a full week. It's it's he didn't even practice this week. He's got he's got quite a bit of rehab to do. The nice thing is it's just soreness, muscle pain, and a little bit of stiffness, so we think we can get it out of him. And Duke Williams slots back in your yep, house. He's yep. feeling. He looks, he looks fine. He feels good. Yesterday it didn't sound quite that promising. Did he? Uh, well, it's that ankle. They, yeah, system. no, it's just another day rest. We didn't do anything today either, Rob. So do I think Duke's 100%? No, but he's, he's 90, and Duke at 90 is still pretty good. So we'll go with him. I guess, how are you going to adjust to this Montreal team that's going to look a little different this week? Yeah, they. I think they're a desperate team. You know, they're they're 0-2, but, I mean, if you look at the film, they could be 2-0. They could have won both of those games. And I know they're really hungry. they got great personnel. They've done a good job of building that team, and they're always a tough out over there. So uh, we know we're going to have to play our best to beat them. What makes, sorry, go ahead. I was say, what makes this Eastern road trip always kind of a tough one for your Western well, team? Well, it's it's just a long time on the plane, uh, and I think you get dehydrated when you're on the plane that long. And it's and it's the um, you know the time change I think messes with guys' clock a little bit. And that's a good team. I mean, Montreal is a good team. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a run and end up being being pretty darn good by the end of the year. I think this 0-2 start honestly is is unusual. They haven't played 0-2. They've they've done a better job than that. Trevor Harris likes to get rid of the ball quickly, unless I'm mistaken. Does that affect your strategy as far as pass rush because maybe you just can't get to him before he gets yeah the ball. I mean if we if we feel he's gonna throw a lot of quick game we tell our D line to try to get their hands up and we tell our DBs to be aware of that but what if you overcoach that Rob there's a chance they're gonna they're gonna double move you so you got to be careful about that too so Trevor's a good quarterback he he you know he darn near brought him back to beat us last year so we know he's he's very capable of winning games I guess how's Cody feeling I think he's all right. He's similar to Duke. He's probably not 100% Brit, but I'd say he's 90. We'll brace him up, and, and he's going to be good to go. Does, uh, does Damon Webb have an injury, or was he just taken off? This no, we just took him off. Yeah, I think Pickton's going to see some, some touches for sure and, and play. He's the backup really across the board for all the receivers, and if Duke's a little bit winded or not quite right, we'll put Pickton in there. Um, and and J-Mo's, he wants to play every play, so we'll – We'll try to limit all of his reps because he's also our returner. But I just think as, as these guys get more confidence, they're going to play better and better. Well, at the start of that clip, you heard Coach Craig uh, talking actually about uh, Charleston Hughes. Uh, that's who he was referring to when he was uh, mentioning shoulder and elbow issues. Uh, uh, while he's banged up at 38 years of age after uh, two games, uh, you you know didn't practice yesterday. Didn't really notice Charleston Hughes uh, in Edmonton. Uh, he he had a I thought a very good game to start the uh, to start the season mm. uh, in game one. Zinger, uh, you really noticed him. You saw him, uh, you know, all around the field, looking like he was putting on some 
a pretty decent pressure. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe at 38 years of age, he rotates every second game. It's hard to say. It is an opportunity for uh, Keon Adams uh, to get his first start at defensive end, a two-year man. And Adams played uh, not too bad. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We just hope that Charleston Hughes uh, gets uh, gets better and gets better quick. Well, Bob Stoffer, of course, you've probably seen him on uh, Sportsnet with the Edmonton Oilers. He's on the line. And right now, Bob, Don Hewitt here filling in for Michael Ball. I'm watching the Memorial Cup and the Oil Kings, while well, they're losing by a goal from what I can see after losing... Uh, last night uh, to the cataracts what's going on with the western hockey league bob because in recent years they have not done well in the memorial cup don you're in are you in regina or saskatoon by the way you're i'm in, in good old regina regina yeah. pats no, I, territory I, I was in regina for the 2001 memorial cup that was the one red deer one where regina started 0-2 right and then ended up uh uh losing in the semifinal. um and right, that was a goaltending change. Did that? Yes, yes. It was a Donald Chacal. Uh, I'm trying to think of Donald Chacalas. You're right. Yeah. So you know, I have a theory on this, and so I'm in my mid 50s, and I can tell you that at the time that you know I was playing midget double A hockey with the Southside Athletic Club at Edmonton, uh, my center is Guy Gadowski. He's now the head coach at Penn State University. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, you could lead your midget double A team in scoring like I did, and not be near good enough to play in the Western League. As 17-year-old, and there were only 12 teams in the WHL, and the WHL has expanded to 22 teams, and you're sitting there, you know, with 22 teams, and off the top of my head, I think Manitoba's got 1.3 million, Saskatchewan's got 1.1, so that's 2.4 million. You factor in another uh, 4.4 million in Alberta, that gets you 6.4, and 5.1 million in BC, and what's that? Uh, Eleven point. Let's let's round it up to twelve million people. Twelve right. million people for twenty-two teams, Don. And you look at right. Ontario; they're at twenty teams for fourteen point five million people. Right. And they and they have a higher success rate in in bringing in American players. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know Quebec obviously has got the maritime teams now, but you got 20, uh, eighteen teams in the in the Quebec League. You got twenty teams in Ontario and twenty-two teams in the Western League, and. I'm I'm a spoiled guy who grew up watching you know Portland win in '83. I know a couple guys that were on that team, and uh, you know I the dominant teams of Kelowna in the early 1990s. Well, that's when the right. league had way fewer teams. Don, it's just simple. There's too many teams in the WHL. They're at 22 teams. There's not enough players. There's not enough depth. And the other thing that happens now is if you get eliminated early, it works to your advantage because the Oil Kings. They don't have uh, Dylan Gunther, who was their best goal scorer in the regular season playoffs. He scored mm-hmm. 58 goals in 75 games. Meanwhile, St. John fires their head coach, brings in Gardner McDougall, who's an excellent university coach, strong structure, and uh, they bring him in to coach, and he practices for 21 days. And right now the Oil Kings are having real issues dealing with their forecheck. So I think I think a couple factors, biggest factor, too many teams, not enough uh, talent being distributed on the WHL teams. Um and then the other thing is the the teams are starting to master it. The host teams that get eliminated early in their respective league playoffs. Right, and it, it's interesting though because there are still a lot of good hockey players in the Western Hockey League. I, I agree with everything you said there, Bob. Uh, if you take a look at all the mock drafts for the NHL draft coming up in Montreal, 
Uh, the Western Hockey League has more players possibly going in the first round than either the Ontario or the Quebec League. Yeah, and this is a year, like, I thought this year's Edmonton team was, I, I, like, last year the bubble, I saw Edmonton play nine of their 12, like, you know, because we did not travel last year in the NHL during the 2021 season. So right. I, I, saw, I saw nine of the 12 home games that the Oil Kings played last year. Uh, this year I did travel with the Oilers all season long doing color on the games. But I still saw at least ten Oil Kings home games during the regular season. You know, they you got the best of you know, I thought the best goalie in the WHL and Sebastian Coates, so the best defenseman in Caden Gooley. They added another good defenseman in Luke Prokop. Uh, you know, they added Sorta from Vancouver. I mean, they had five guys off Canada's world junior team. But last night I, I was stunned, frankly, that Shawinigan outplayed uh, Edmonton. I mean, I really was. I watched Shawinigan against Charlottetown. And Shawinigan were awful five on five, and mm-hmm. they they outplayed Edmonton dramatically last night. And the Oil Kings got the early jump tonight, and St. John just kept coming. So uh, I, I thought this year's Oil King team was a bit like the Kelowna Rockets in 2015, where, you know, when they had Drysaddle and Morrissey, where they had such high end talent that mm-hmm. they killed offset maybe a lack of depth. And so far, that hasn't come to fruition. And I point back to Dylan Gunther, a ninth overall pick in the NHL draft. Yeah, huge which, loss. You know. He's the second highest drafted player in that tournament next to uh, Mason McDavid, Don. It's a huge loss for Edmonton. Well, it is. Now, um, let's move on and stay with hockey. I want to get to a few things about the Oilers in a minute. Uh, uh, but the Tampa Bay Lightning, yeah. uh, they're down 2 to nothing to the New York Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers are going to beat them. That'll be interesting. On uh, an original six club in the Stanley Cup final. That's not too bad. And then they just mow them over uh, four straight games to win it in six. Uh, now we look at the blowout by the Avs, 7 nothing in game two of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Tampa Bay comes right back and dominates game three. Is this going to happen all over again, do you think, Bob, that Tampa just comes nope. back and, and rolls over the Avs? Is it possible? It is possible, and I should say... Yes, it's a distinct possibility, but I don't believe it's going to happen again because I think Colorado's a different animal. I mean, I, they get Cadre back tonight. They do Colorado. I, I think Colorado's on another level with Maple Leafs. I mean, Maple Leafs took Tampa Bay to seven. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay had to rally from 3-2 down in that series. Uh, you know, Florida got blown out by Tampa Bay, and Vasilevsky stood on his head and only gave up the three goals in the four games, and even against the Rangers. He only gave up three goals in the final four games, but I just think that Colorado's ability to score and the difference that Colorado has is a pairing of Taze and Makar and Taze was awful in game three in Tampa Bay. I wish hmm. he would have played like that. One of the games against Edmonton, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and this is where I point out the Oilers lost basically three, one goal games to Colorado. Like I'm not going to, you know, uh, suggest mm-hmm. for a second that Colorado weren't the better team. They were the better team, but Edmonton had opportunities to win, especially in game three and game four. And frankly, if they would have gotten a key save in either of those two games, when the game was in the balance, they might have been able to extend the series. So I do think Colorado's going to win the Cup. I think it's amazing what Tampa Bay's accomplished. I think they do some elite things. Um, you know, Julian Brisebois sort of learned under Steve Eiserman and took on a multitude of tasks. They're advanced in analytics compared to other organizations around the league. They've got a great head pro or head amateur scout. They've hit on a bunch of second and third round draft choices. Kucherov in the second round, Brayden Point in the third to supplement the picks that Brian Lawton, who's a regular on my show, that mm-hmm. Brian made uh, when he was GM of Tampa when he got Stamkos and Edmund back to back. And of course, they invested in drafting the goalie in Vasilevsky. 
And so they're a terrific organization, but I think this year Colorado's got the deeper team and they'll ultimately find a way to win. Well, I sort of hope you're you're right. I like the, the kind of hockey that Colorado plays versus some of the hockey that Tampa Bay plays. But uh, Tampa Bay, as far as I know, Bob, is the heaviest team in the NHL. And as the games progress, they seem to wear down other clubs. We'll see what happens in Game 4. Now, let's go over to the Oilers because I thought it was, you know, obvious. and But I was also very happy to see uh, Jay Wood. Croft to get a new uh, three-year deal. You know, I'm at a distance here, Bob, down in, in Regina, but I was so impressed with uh, Jay Woodcroft in every area, everything I could think about when he first came in. He talked a lot like Martin St. Louis. Uh, it's not a system, it's a concept. We give freedom to players. They and All that talent, uh, some of those forwards in Edmonton, they, they really loved it. He gets rewarded. Uh, I mean, is this guy as great as what he seems like uh, from a distance? Well, I believe you got to touch every base as a coach. Like, I don't like seeing former NHL players just be thrown right in and get NHL head coaching opportunities without working their way up. And I'm going to extend Jay Woodcroft and include Dave Manson. I mean, Dave, you know, Dave played over 1,100 games in the NHL. He will be part of the Oilers coaching staff. That will get announced shortly. Uh, those two guys are a tandem. And Ken Holland came in. And in fairness, it was Pete Chiarelli who moved Jay Woodcroft off the Oilers coaching staff down to coach the farm team in Bakersfield. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Jay started off as a video coach, and then he became an assistant coach, and then an associate, then a head coach of the minors. And Dave Manson, you know, was, was coaching kids in Prince Albert and then joined yeah. the Raiders as a, an assistant coach and, uh, and then eventually went to Bakersfield as an assistant. And so they, they've got a unique perspective that they've worked with kids at different levels, and I think the communication's important. Uh, you know, I believe in positive uh, player-coach interactions. I think if you're a, a screamer out there, if you're a coach right now and you believe in yelling and screaming, that's the way you get the most out of people, you should do us all a favor. You should retire. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I, I'm from a completely different uh, school, um, and I'm not in my 40s. I'm now in my 50s, but I will tell you that there's a, the way to get uh, more out of people today, Don, is you treat people with dignity and respect. Uh, and when you do that from the beginning of the relationship, you engender passion from them. They don't want to fail you. And if only I could apply that to my own relationship with my <laughs> kids, I'd be even a better father. But, uh, you know, it's, no, I, like, Sorry, I joined the club. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and the reality of the situation is Jay's right for Edmund. And you, you talk about drafting and developing your players. The orders are finally starting to do a better job a lot. And they're now developing their own coach. And I think that's important. I'd like to see them even develop a couple managers for down the road because, mm-hmm. you know, Ken Holland's uh, in his mid-60s now. So I think for all, the biggest difference I noticed is the five-on-five play. And that was the biggest thing for me, Don. They had a much better five-on-five play to support real good special teams. Thank you very much, Bob. Great insight as usual. Sports Cage on 620 CKRM continues in a moment. And it's 4.57, back with your sports ticker. And, hey, let's play some Sastel pick to score. Give me a call right now. i got two tickets to give to you to the next Ryder home game, July 2nd against the Montreal Alouettes. So give me a call toll-free, uh, toll 1-866-767-0620. Locally, 737-0620. And uh, let's get this thing rolling. Give me a call now. I'll take caller number 5, and hopefully caller number 5, will be you. The sports tickers for Bronco Plumbing Heating. 
uh, and cooling. They're hiring right now. Starting salary for service technicians is 75000 plus signing bonus. Give them a call at 781-2090. So we're going to head to break now. On the other side, we're going to hear from hopefully Kevin Waugh, Farhan Lalji at 5.30, Arash Madani at 6.05. We're going to wrap the show up with CTV's Daryl Romwald. You're listening to the Sports Cage today, brought to you by Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. And we'll be listening and talking to Michael Ball in, I don't know, seven, eight minutes perhaps. Uh, don't forget, Sports Cage brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive a free, absolutely free, $25 sports bet. Now, uh, we are still waiting for uh, Kevin Waugh to become available, the Conservative MP for Saskatoon uh, Grasswood. Of course, Kevin is on the Standing uh, Committee on Canadian Heritage down in Ottawa. And on Monday, he was asking some questions to Hockey Canada about a June 2018 sexual assault. Maybe we have to say alleged because I don't think uh, it's been in court and nothing's, uh, no verdict's been uh, read. So I guess it's still alleged. Uh, he was asking questions of Hockey Canada President, President Scott Smith. Uh, no relation to the former Scott Smith who used to play for the Pats in the 1960s. I remember Scott Smith. Okay. I think he had a long career with Saskatel and he had one of the best slap shots uh, well, I've ever seen on a Pat. Uh, I think it was late 60s he played. He, I saw him score from just, side, just inside center ice once at the old Regina Exhibition Stadium. Uh, also... Uh, being grilled on Monday in Ottawa was outgoing Hockey Canada Chief Executive Tom Rennie. And Kevin's got some interesting things to say about this. Uh, it's it's a mess. I mean, the NHL and the federal government are doing their own investigations uh, regarding this assault uh, by members of the 2017-18 World Junior Players after a golf tournament in June of 2018 in London, Ontario. Uh, Hockey Canada hired an independent law firm in 2018 to investigate, and that's where we'll pick it up with Kevin Waugh. But surprise, surprise, Zinger. Scott Smith, Scott Smith, by the way, uh, Don, Regina Pat from 1968 to 1972, so you're dead on on that one. Right. Correct. And he did play that famous series in 1969, against the Montreal Junior Canadiens. Mm-hmm. And in those days, uh, the Memorial Cup was a best of seven between East and West, which was, uh, of course, the Montreal the Junior Canadiens of that year. And then the next year, 1970, when they played the Weyburn Red Wings in the best of seven Memorial Cup final. I think every guy but one on that Montreal Junior Canadiens team played in the NHL. Wow. It was so stacked. I mean, <laughs> uh, it was ridiculous how many stars were on that team, a lot of them going on uh, to play uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, of course, because the Montreal Canadiens owned the rights of those players, just like they owned the rights of their John Pats players in those days, which was crazy. And, of course, that ended uh, when the NHL went uh, down into the U.S. in 1967. Uh, eventually it did end, and uh, when the American teams needed players, and they had to sort of, uh, change all of that. By the way, the Edmonton Oil Kings just scored Ooh. and they have now uh, tied the game with St. John in St. John with uh, a couple of minutes into the second period. It is 3-3 between these uh, two clubs. But 
Anyway, uh, those were great days for Scott Smith. Uh, we have to be sort of a certain age to remember him, Zinger. I'm showing my age. Yeah, but, man. Uh, I, I, I lo- looks like he was a draft pick of the Atlanta Flames. So yep, Scott Smith, right. Atlanta Flames. Yep. Round 7, 98th overall, 1972 NHL amateur draft, man. So Yeah, and he uh, you know, had a great shot but never played in the NHL, but he was a great Regina Pat. But anyway, um, I digress, uh, but we will be talking to Kevin Waugh shortly, and as you said earlier there, Zinger, a few minutes ago, we have a great show uh, lined up uh, yet to go. Now, I'm just looking at the Rough Rider depth chart again, and I'm looking over it. I'm trying to figure out who is my favorite Rough Rider for 2022, and I knew immediately, I knew immediately, it took me half a second to decide who my favorite Rough Rider is on this 2022 team. So, Zinger, you go first. Who's your favorite don't, rider don't in 2022? Tell, don't, don't tell me it's Christmas. <laughs> no, it isn't. My favorite I, name, yes. I'm not clear yet. I'm going to guess for you, Don, it's Derek Moncrief. Close. Oh, Larry Close. Dean. Larry Dean it is. Uh, Larry, see, for me... How did you know that? That's good guessing. I don't know. I just, I'm just a smart guy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You are a smart guy. Um, I, can, I can vouch for that. For me, uh, I... I I really love Mitchell Pickton because he's a friend of mine dating back to the University of Regina Rams days. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but, you know, I think uh, given more opportunities, we can see uh, some more touchdowns from big playmaker number 81. So I like Mitchell Pickton. And on defense, my player my player would have to be uh, that, that play at the goal line. Last week by Mike Adam. Oh, great play! Uh, he's he's been he's been growing on me year by year, and he's like yep. one of the older guys on on the defense now. When I say old, I mean like one of the more uh, veteran players on defense. So, uh, and he, good old Canadian as well. Albeit he went to the University of Calgary and was a Dino, <laughs> and I hate the Calgary Dinos. But uh, I think it's either Mike Adam or Derek Moncrief for me. But I'm with you as well. The the comeback story for Larry Dean. I mean That's the guy. Is, yeah. The guy never played or first time back playing football since 2019. Obviously he was a part of the Achilles Four last year. Achilles mm-hmm. four or five, I can't even remember. I try to forget about that memory, but uh, yeah, what what he's doing this year at that uh, uh, weak side linebacker, man, it's uh, it's quite impressive. And just uh, knock on wood, I don't want to. Uh, me, you, Ryder fans, no more injuries. Knock on wood, because uh, I don't think our hearts can deal with another one like we had against uh, Edmonton last week with uh, Dan Clark. I'm speaking of. So, well, speaking of that. I'd have to say my, you know, I was just saying my favorite player, but if I'm going to go on either side of the football like you did, I will say right now my favorite player on the Saskatchewan uh, Rough Riders on the offensive si- side not will be... Not Ty Rogers. <laughs> I'm just yeah, joking. Well, not yet. Not, <laughs> no. But uh, close, because my favorite player for the rest of this year on the Rough Rider offense is going to be Dan Clark. He's my favorite player even though he's not going to be playing for a while. I'm not going to forget Dan Clark all year, and we just hope that, uh, you know, there is some healing to be done and he can get back and play before the 2022 season is over. But uh, Mitch Picton, I mean, I'm glad you brought him up because, you know, he did score a touchdown uh, last season. But I've heard lots of 
people say or certain people say, well, he's really not very good. He's only on the team because he's a local, a local uh, kid, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Mitch Picton showed without question Saturday night in Edmonton, as far as I'm concerned, that he is a professional football receiver and he showed everybody why he is on this team and playing professional football. Okay, so are we going to take a break then, Zinger? Okay, uh, I got, I'm glad I got that in on uh, Mitch Picton. So hang in, everybody. We'll be back with more uh, Sports Cage on 620 CKRM in just a moment. And we're back with Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. This is Don Hewitt filling in for your usual host, Michael Ball. And the reason is obvious. Ballsy is uh, currently in Montreal taking that charter flight with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as he prepares to call the play-by-play of the Rough Riders Alouettes uh, tomorrow night uh, at 5.30 local time, I believe. So, Ballsy... What's new? We've been talking about uh, the depth chart. What's what's the latest with the Rough Riders right now? Well, all we know is that uh, Duke Williams is in, and uh, Charleston Hughes, uh, they gave him a week off. Uh, Keon Adams replaces him. You probably already talked about that, a hip and, or sorry, a shoulder and uh, elbow injury. Mm-hmm. And um, Duke is, uh, I don't think Duke's, I mean, I wouldn't say he's uh, 100%, but he's, uh, I mean, they wouldn't bring him if he didn't have uh, an opportunity to make an impact. So he'll be there and be backed up by Mitch Picton, who we know, as I like to call him, the Dairy King. Had, yeah. uh, had, a, t- had a touchdown grab and a two-point convert, really the difference maker in that game against Edmonton. Yeah, it's, uh, so what I can tell you right now, we literally just pulled into town to the hotel about uh, five minutes ago before you called me. So, uh the guys picked up their smoked meat sandwiches that Jeremy O'Day ordered for them, and they went up to the they went up to the room. They were hungry guys. I didn't even get one, Huey. It's all gone. It was all gone. That's I believe gone. it. So that's good. You know, you've been at training camps, uh, and you're certainly at Saskatchewan's training camp this past year up at the University of Saskatchewan. I covered many training camps in my era. Uh, we got to eat uh, in the cafeteria there. You know, they'd put one table over for media, and uh, we'd get free food. It was a pretty good deal. Uh, But the one thing uh, that I always noticed and couldn't believe was the amount of food, especially the big men, the linemen ate. I couldn't believe how much calories and food they consume. Furlan walked onto the bus today, onto the bus before he went to the airport with two, I think I saw two hamburgers and a bag of chips, uh, and then <laughs> nicely sit down, we get in the air, and we, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I'm very happy that this year, uh, my first with the team, I get to charter with the team, so right. with everything going on, like Pearson Airport is just a disaster, I guess, so we don't, we get on the plane, we get on the bus, we drive to the stadium, or sorry, to the airport, my, my apologies, get on the plane, fly, get off the plane, get on a bus at, at Tarmac in Montreal, for instance, and drive to the uh, hotel. And on the plane, we get a meal. So Furlan walks in, eats two hamburgers and a bag of chips. <laughs> I think it was two hamburgers. For sure it was one. And then we nicely sit down, leave uh, into the friendly skies, and he's eating again. So, <laughs> yeah, those boys, those boys got to beef up, man. And that's going to be interesting, Huey. 
I'm really looking forward to that. And I asked Coach on the side, I said, so, because you got to understand something. The heartbeat of any football team, as you know, Don, he was the professor, is the offensive line. And the middle yep. of that offensive line is your center, and he is the quarterback. And he makes the calls, the protections, all that stuff. So now we're going to put a guy in here, Logan Bambi, who is the center, played on the offensive line for the UFC Dinos when they won the Vanier Cup. But it's a long way from Can West to CFL football, professional football. But everybody I talked to said they are impressed with this guy. They have the confidence in this guy. Of course, they say that, but uh, they are. Uh, and and I, so I said to Coach Dickinson, I said, so like, is he going to make the – is he going to make the calls by himself or is somebody else going to help? He goes, no, we're confident he's going to make the calls by himself. But you got to mm-hmm. think Logan Furland, the other Logan, is going to be there helping him out because, you know, Furland uh, got thrown into that role last year right. when he had to go in there. So, uh, so he has a little bit of experience there as well. Now, it's interesting when Logan uh, Bandy was talking to the media – uh, before departure mm-hmm. to Montreal, he said his number one attribute, and I was surprised to hear this, his number one attribute is his confidence. Yeah, and he looks confident. When I And I, I actually asked him that question. He, uh, Yeah, he does look like a confident guy, uh, composed. He doesn't look like anything is phasing him. And that clip that you did play that I pulled for you, he, um, he did say it's maybe a good thing that he's on a short week that he's doing mm-hmm. on a short week, not on a long week, so he doesn't think about it. Now, I asked the coach the exact same thing. He said, no, I actually would like him to be on a long week so he could have more reps and more time. So that's a coach versus a player type of thing. But, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch. You wonder how they're, uh, you know, schematically it's going to change things for the football team to get the ball out faster. You know, can they run the ball as well as they did? Mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal's got uh, Armando Sewell. You know him. He's a one-man wrecking crew. It'd be very interesting to see how uh, how, how that uh, shapes up in a football game. Now, Ballsy, should Rough Rider fans be concerned that uh, Cody Fajardo is playing tomorrow night with a brace on his left knee? Well, I was with him. Uh, well, I was sitting in front of him on the bus uh, after the game and uh, coming out of Edmonton. You know what? Um, I'm never going to do this to guys. Like I'm not. I'm not a guy that goes for clicks and likes and all that type of stuff. I. I'm the voice of the team, so there's some things I'm just not going to report. But he was kind of stretching it in the aisle, uh, doing a couple of lunges and stuff to stretch it out. Uh, from what I could gather, just kind of some sort of strain, I think. Uh, maybe a, a slight MCL strain, if there's such a thing. Uh, he says mm-hmm. it's not going to affect him too much. He is wearing a brace. Uh, I know uh, Roy Shivers is going to be on our show on Friday. Dr. Murray McCormick from the Post said if he keeps running around like that, he's not going to finish the season. Uh, I don't know if I'd say... You know, it's that drastic. But Cody does have to be um, uh, smarter when he runs. Although I don't think he has been. I don't know, Don. Maybe you have a different opinion. I don't think he's been haphazard running the football. No. He's, he's ran when he had. He's ran when he has. Has ran when he had to. Yep. And I mean, on the game-winning touchdown of Mitch Pickton, his patented pirouette out to the left throws the football uh, and 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 hits Pickton for a wide-open touchdown. I just think it's the wear and tear. I mean, it's it's football, man. People are going to get hurt. People are going to get uh, smacked around. And the quarterbacks had to take some shots to make some plays. No thought about that. Now with Charleston Hughes out of the lineup, this is a, a big chance, is it not, Ballsy, for Keon Adams? I mean, he played decently last year, getting his first start to tomorrow night in Montreal at defensive end. Yeah, good week of practice for uh, for Keon Adams, number 97. He will be backing up Pete Robertson. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have 13 quarterback sacks. That's nine more than anybody else. Oh, crazy. Like, they are absolutely they are absolutely rolling. They have, uh, 
I think they have four forced fumbles so far in two games. The rest of the league combined has six. Like, the Rough Riders are defensively rolling right now, and they're going to have to be that way. Let's be honest, Don. I I don't even care if it's six to five. I don't think you care. I don't think Rider Nation cares. Like, oh, I care because I'm calling the game. I want it to be exciting. <laughs> but, but, I mean, as a Rider fan, you just want to see him win this football game. And, and let's be honest. Football should never be played four days, four or five days apart. Like, this is ridiculous. No, I've said true. this a couple of days this week on the show. And every team goes through it. Every league goes through it. I know it has to do with revenue. And TSN probably gets some good ratings. So it's a bit of a slippery slope. But it's also a gate-driven league in cities like Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. We can't have Thursday night games. People, that's a pain in their butt to have to get out of work and then, you know, with the traffic and everything like that. They're not, in, they're not interested in that, number one. Number two, the product suffers. You think the Rough Riders are going to be able to give us their best game? And like I said, every team goes through it, but you got Dan Clark out. You got a new center in there. You got Cody who's banked up. And I look at these guys, and even, they, even though they say they're ready to go, some of them look tired. They look tired. It's just natural. They're tired, man. You only start feeling like you're ready to practice again Wednesday, Thursday, and they're already playing. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think it's going to be a paint-by-numbers, not a Picasso but hopefully uh, yeah. the Riders uh, have the right formula to win. And the LOS seem pretty banged up right now, Ballsy. Yeah, they do, and they also are going to be with, yeah, Wieneke's out. That helps out a lot. I know you're a big fan of his. Uh, you, I think you compared him to Hugh Campbell back in the day, if I remember yep. correctly, listening to one of the pre- or the post-game shows. And then uh, uh, Vernon Adams is out with COVID. Even their owner, Gary Stern, is out with COVID, so he oh can't my even gosh. come to the game. So, yeah, so he's got COVID. So they are banged up a little bit, too. Um, uh, Chris Ackie's out as well. So those are a couple of big injuries and omissions. Uh, but, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the quarterback thing, you'd be like, wow, that hurts the team. Not really. you got Trevor Harris. The only thing that hurts is the Riders would have had to uh, prepare for two quarterbacks, which would have made it interesting because both guys legitimately could have got in there and they brought different styles. Now they only have to worry about the one. And then, I mean, Dominic Davis. But, I mean, I don't think anybody's – scared of Dominic Davis, although maybe the Riders should be scared of Dominic Davis. He had his best game ever against the Riders when he was quarterback at Ottawa, if we That's remember right. that. Yep. Well, Ballsy, you go have a little bit more poutine. And in- I have, you know, should I get, I've never had smoked meat. Should I get smoked meat? Like, I went for the sandwich, but they were all gone. Should I go to oh, the restaurant no. and get Yes, yes, definitely. No, you got to get the poutine here in Montreal. you got to get the poutine. Oh, the smoked meat's number one, though. Smoke meets number one. I don't know. Like, in, uh, I I got a nice view of the, the downtown here. I, I may go do something, but I got so much work to do. I'll probably just sit in my hotel. I'm a boring <laughs> guy that way. <laughs> well, you're not boring on the air. We love your calls, especially the Rough Rider Touchstone calls. Ballsy, uh, have a good evening. We look forward to you uh, to listening to you tomorrow night. The Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And it's uh, Don Hewitt back here with uh, Sports Cage on 620 uh, CKRM. Uh, joining me uh, to talk about a very, very serious issue on the Western Pizza Hotline is uh, Conservative MP to Crosswood, uh, Kevin Waugh. Don't forget. Oh, this is Farhan. Okay, sorry, Farhan. I thought I was talking to Kevin Waugh, who was down uh, there with. I've discussed politics and potentially making a career change down the road, but this, you're catching me a little soon for that. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin Wall was a little delayed because he's in a, a debate 
in Ottawa right now. And Farhan, and you, you, of course, you have to speak and talk a lot as a, as a journalist, but I don't know if you have to speak and talk as much as a politician does. Not sure about that. No, and you know, and certainly the the reason why I know you're talking to Kevin Waugh and the hearings that are going on in the nation's capital. I mean, it's it's a really serious issue, and yes, um, not enough lip service can be given to this. I mean, I shouldn't say lip service; not enough meaningful dialogue no. can be given to this. Right? It's such an important topic, and it's a sport that's so important to us. But the sport is supposed to be everything that's good about Canada, and the stuff that we're hearing is definitely not. And you know, I, I know that you know I'm not a Canada's team guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when the, if if like you, if you're a Canuck fan or what or an Oiler fan or whatever, and your team loses, like you, you shouldn't be cheering for Calgary. You shouldn't be cheering for Toronto, in my opinion. Like, don't tell me that that's your home team and it's Canada's team. But when the World Junior team plays, right. that's Canada's team, and we all take an incredible amount of collective pride, and we want them to reflect all that is good in Canada. And what's happening right now um, is, is terrible. And just to, the more and more that comes out, and usually it's. It's Rick Westhead uh, from TSN that's done a really good job of, of getting mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of the meat of this story. It's just the more you hear, the more you just feel sad on so many levels, and hopefully that the culture changes because it really is a part of the culture. Like you know, as much as hockey's Canadian culture, and yeah. what's going on in what's going on wrong right now in in the sport is also part of the culture of hockey that nobody wants to talk about. And we need to fix it. Well, it's not making. I wasn't going to talk to you about this far on, but being that we're on the topic i mean it it's it's concerning uh, in the fact that uh both the federal government and the prime ministers talked about it and the national hockey league are doing their own investigations they're clearly not sold on what hockey canada has done in looking into this at all well and hockey canada's investigation has yet to come back complete right right so they can't speak to a lot of it because it isn't done well that was 2018 why is this taking as long as it's taking, and certainly part of the problem is Hockey Canada's inaction about not making it mandatory for people to have to talk in this case mm-hmm. um, back when it happened. So, you know, like it would sure be nice if one agency was tasked with properly investigating this and all stakeholders accepted it, because every time you get multiple investigations on something like this, and it's not just Hockey Canada, it's, you know, the NFL and the district attorney's office in in the Deshaun Watson case or the House mm-hmm. Congressional Committee in the uh, Dan Snyder case. Every time you get multiple layers and multiple people with different agendas investigating, it's hard to trust any of it, right? So in this mm-hmm. case, you know, I would love to see one, and I'd love to see everybody acknowledge and fund and accept that this is where it's going. But, wow, I mean, the fact that Hockey Canada is not pulling, or the federal government's pulling funding, uh, if Hockey Canada doesn't come in line on, on certain issues to make sure that accountability and transparency is is um, real the next time, you know, all that, all that goes with that. It's just, it's a black mark for the sport. And when something happens in Canada, you know, you and I talk about football a lot, but when something happens in Canada when it relates to hockey, it becomes a federal government issue. When you mm-hmm. go back to the summit after Canada couldn't win in the Olympics, I mean, these became national issues. Um, you know, it makes you wonder whether or not too much emphasis is put on hockey, but regardless, that's how much emphasis is put on hockey, and with that comes responsibility. Absolutely. Well, it's it's just a big black guy right now. We'll see what Kevin Waugh says later in this show. Uh, let's get back to football, Farhan. Uh, you know, I was thinking about 
the BC Lions uh, Saturday night when the Rough Riders uh, were playing in Edmonton. Uh, that game basically went down to the last four minutes. It was, uh, you know, a very hotly contested uh, game. Uh, Mitch Picton scores a touchdown with just a little over four minutes to go. Larry Dean makes a big defensive play with two minutes to go. Uh, a pretty decent uh, contest between two clubs that uh, looked pretty close. And then I think, wait a minute. The BC Lions scored 59 points on the Edmonton Elks a week earlier. Uh, a lot of Ryder fans thought Saskatchewan would blow out the Elks. It didn't happen at all. I mean, how good are the BC Lions right now, Farhan? You know, I don't think we're going to be able to answer that objectively until they play another team. And for me, when I look at Saskatchewan, I still think the team that beat Hamilton is the real Riders. And I think they got in their own way a lot more than Edmonton got in their way in the last game that Saskatchewan played. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of meat on that bone in green and white. I think it's a very good football team. I think it's a very complete team and a well-coached team. Um, you know, and so with the Lions, I, I just, I'm not feeling Edmonton, right? I'm not feeling them on any level. Uh, the game was probably a little more one-sided than the score indicated, you know, as I saw it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The finishing touches with that late touchdown, but I don't know that they ever really, really felt threatened by Edmonton's offense. There's just not enough there. So for BC, I want to see what they can do against Toronto. And I think Toronto's got some holes as well, but certainly I think they're a step ahead of Edmonton. And right. it's important for them to back up a really one-sided game against Edmonton with another solid performance against a much better football team this time around. So, you know, I like Nathan Work. I like the pieces the Lions have offensively. But I want to see what their offensive line can do against a better defensive front. You know, I see. I, I like what BC did defensively in that game against Edmonton. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Edmonton just didn't have enough weapons, right? And whereas Toronto's got more weapons. So, and and they're better at quarterback, right? So I want to see what they can do against the Argos, and and that'll tell me a lot more about this BC Lions team. Okay, when you look at tomorrow night's game in Montreal between Saskatchewan and the Alouettes, uh, Montreal 0-2, they could be 2-0 when you really think about it. Saskatchewan 2-0. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow night? Well, you know, I wanted to pick Montreal at the beginning of the week. I really did, and that's no disrespect to Saskatchewan. I, like you, think Montreal should be 2-0. and I think they're better than the record indicates. I think they've moved the ball well. I think they've defended well. They've made mistakes at key times, which has cost them football games. But when I see what's happening on the injury front um, with Montreal, Saskatchewan, Dan Clark notwithstanding, they've got Duke Williams back. Um, I think that's more of their real team, whereas Trevor Harris is going to give you some consistency, but you lose Jake Winnicky, who's a really important part of that team. You lose Chris Ackie, who's an important part of mm-hmm. not just the team, but the ratio, right, and how that team is constructed. So that's going to be difficult for them. And, you know, and then first full game without, without William Stanback as well. So I, um, I'm a little concerned. Actually, sorry, I shouldn't say that. He got hurt in the opener. He didn't play in the last game. So I'm a little more concerned with the injuries and what Montreal is going to field, and it's hard to pick against Saskatchewan in that setting. But, I, look, montreal they've got some good pieces on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think that is not an 0-2 football team, much like Ottawa. I think both those teams are a lot better than their current record shows. I agree with you on both those uh, comments. Montreal and Ottawa uh, have better football players than they did a year ago. Now, Friday night, Hamilton in Winnipeg. Now, I, I'm an Orlando Steinhauer fan. He's had a fabulous uh, head coaching career in Hamilton since he took over the reins at the beginning of the 2019 season. But 
That comeback by Calgary the other night, uh, Farhan, that was his worst hour as a head coach, was it not? Yeah, it's hard to argue, you know, because uh, that's a game you should put away. They played so well in the first half. They were nowhere to be found in the second half. Um, yeah, you know, and, it, like, and especially how the game ended in terms of um, the tying points, not the overtime points, but, you know, that fumble, the strip on third down mm-hmm. when you should be able to convert, not necessarily ice the game, but get it close to that, and all of a sudden that gets turned around and goes the other way. You know, that's a play that isn't going to happen a second time. You know what I mean? But it's it's a gutting way to lose. And it, it's funny how how fine the margins are in this league because I talked to Dave Dickinson about his team, and a year ago they felt like they should have been 2-0 and and they were 0-2, right? And right now you can look at Calgary and they should be they could be 0-2 and they're 2-0. and And yep. a little bit of that is going on in Calgary. Certainly the first game against Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan was full marks for that win, but uh, that's going to be a tough one to get over for Hamilton this past week and you know now you're going into the hornet's nest in winnipeg um tough it's a tough ask for sure now you're a football coach and i know you live and die football dane evans as the cat quarterback what did he do wrong on that sneak to allow a player to come from behind and grab the ball out of his hand yeah you know i'm never a fan of quarterback spinning right that's you. You're, you're not in a power position when you turn and try to back in for the additional yardage, and that's kind of what he did there. And, I, and that's just a real, real mistake because now you're totally exposed, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you think by putting your back there and putting the ball out, you're actually taking the ball away from the traffic. But when you back up like that, again, there, there's no power. You're falling backwards, and the ball can be pulled away from you. You can't fall down on it in that moment. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, not, not the way to do it, and certainly um, didn't protect the ball well enough. When you look at his performance offensively, and I know a lot of this was in the first half, but that 415 yards, that's the best offensive performance by a quarterback this season right. with three touchdowns. But then you throw two picks, including the one in overtime, and you fumble the ball twice, so now you're singularly responsible for four turnovers, uh, two of which lead to the outcome in the game. That, that's tough, and I think, I think Evans, in his first year, is the undisputed starter without Jeremiah Masoli. You know, you don't want to have too many of those moments. You know, you want to make sure that you com- you continuously have uh, the backing and faith of your football team, and you can't be the reason they lose. And when you turn the ball over, it's very easy to, to look at the quarterback as the reason why you lose. Now, first game Saturday night, Edmonton at Calgary. Is this a gimme for the Stampeders, Farhan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, um, you know, Edmonton is what their record says they are. Some other teams were questioning Edmonton is an 0-2 football team. Edmonton is this year's Ottawa Red Blacks. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Calgary's been up and down, but they don't need to be up for long to win this game. I, I don't see a path to victory. Nine and a half points is a big spread. You know, could Edmonton cover? And Look, last week, they still couldn't cover, right? As, as much as we want to say the game was close, it still turned into a 10-point spread. And, and I think those mistakes are going to be there again. Like, there just isn't, there just isn't enough there offensively with Edmonton, in my opinion, for them to be be a real threat. And uh, and their defense isn't good enough to keep them in football games. So I, I think Calgary's going to win handily. I just want to finish off Farhan with what's going on with the Lions uh, when they, they play uh, Saturday night against Toronto. I know the Eastern teams don't draw as well as the Western teams do in, in any Western uh, team venue. But and after that big crowd uh, that uh, you know showed up for the season opener for the Lions, uh, 
What do you think is going to happen with with the crowd uh, Saturday night in, in BC Place? Yeah, my understanding is it's not going to be as good. Um, I think they're expecting somewhere in the low 20,000s. I would hope that, you know, they can build some momentum over these last couple of days, much like they did for the season opener, because, you know, that was a solid crowd that all of a sudden became an exceptional crowd in the last few days, right? It, it really, really um, built momentum, and then all of a sudden, roofs coming open, and then everyone wanted to be a part of it, and then uh, the... the um, or sorry, the upper deck opening, and then eventually the roof being opened. And, you know, now we're finally getting a stretch of good weather here in the West Coast starting today. So if all of those things kind of line up, it could turn into a pretty good crowd. And, you know, for me, I've said that I think the target now, I don't think you want to expect to get above 34,000. I think the target should be to fill the lower bowl on a, on a nightly basis, which gets you to 25,000. And then eventually, you know, for the Saskatchewans and maybe a playoff game or whatever, then you can kind of do a little bit more with it. But, um, uh, yeah, I think low 20,000s. I, I had a chance to meet with the New Lions president today, mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne uh, Venu, and, you know, he's got some really good marketing ideas and strategies that he's hoping to implement once he gets into the building uh, at the beginning of August. And, you know, it's it's all kind of good stuff in terms of what they're adding and how they're trying to build out and, and um, you know, get the market a little more engaged. So I think they'll get there. But I, I was a little disappointed to hear low 20s. But, again, we'll see what happens because, uh, over the next few days, it could it could really escalate, much like it did a few weeks ago, given the weather and other things going on here. Okay, thanks a lot, Farhan. Uh, enjoyed it as usual. Uh, Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Hey, it's 5 of 48 with your sports ticker, and it's brought to you by Bronco Plumbing Heating and Cooling. They're hiring starting salary for service technicians is 75000 plus signing bonus. Give them a call at... 781-2090. And the Toronto Blue Jays wrapped up their series against the Chicago White Sox today in Chi-Town, the south side. And uh, the Blue Jays won it 9-5. to And a useless fact for you, useless fact of the day, the Toronto Blue Jays beat the Chicago White Sox 9-5 to in Toronto's first ever game in a franchise history. You fast forward, uh, what? How many years to 2022, and it happened again today. 9-5 win for your Blue Jays. Don. Well, that's pretty good trivia, if I don't say so myself. We'll be talking to Arash Madani about a crazy ejection in that game. Pete Walker last night? Uh, Well, that was last night. Yeah, there was so much going on. uh, A guy that really knows a lot about baseball, by the way, Zinger, is the conservative MP for... Saskatoon Grasswood, Kevin Waugh. He knows 100 times more about baseball than I'll ever know. Kevin is a member of the Standing Committee on uh, Canadian Heritage. And, of course, we've we've sort of set this up already, uh, discussing, you know, what all happened Monday in Ottawa. Uh, Kevin asking questions of Hockey Canada President Scott Smith and outgoing Chief Executive Tom Rennie. We just uh, heard Farhan Lodgy talking a little bit what a black eye this has on Hockey Canada and uh, how concerning it is with our national sport. Now, now, Kevin, just to sort of catch up with what happened on Monday, I know uh, you were, were talking to the Hockey Canada executives and you were trying to figure out why uh, when Hockey Canada hired an independent law firm in 2018 to investigate it, I guess we still have to call it an alleged sexual assault because it's not done in court or nothing's been determined in court by possibly as many as eight World Junior 
uh, players from the 2017-2018 year uh, following a golf event in London. You couldn't understand why players uh, weren't meant or, you know, there wasn't a condition by a third-party investigation to participate in the law firm's investigation. Maybe take it from there. Yeah, thank you, Don, and uh, good evening, everyone back home. So Monday, Hockey Canada officials were summoned, as Don said, uh, over reports of the alleged uh, rape incident that took place on June 18th of 2018. Hockey Canada, Tom Rennie, Scott Smith came to the committee. Um, They actually contracted uh, a third party to do an investigation. It was a law firm, uh, Heinen Hutchinson, from London, Ontario, to to see what actually took place that night. Uh, we know that one hockey player was involved, first of all, with a 24-year-old woman, and then seven more joined in. And so what was disturbing to me in testimony Monday was uh, Hockey Canada did not make it mandatory that all those in attendance uh, at the gala uh, didn't have to disclose uh, an interview with Heinen Hutchinson, who was, uh, that law firm, as I said, was uh, Hockey Canada paid them to do an investigation, a third-party investigation. So how many of the players actually said, no, I, I, I won't do the interview? How many said, yes, I will do the interview? We don't know. But I think it was deeply concerning that Scott Smith, the incoming CEO of Hockey Canada, made it clear that Hockey Canada back then in June of 2018 did not tell the players involved or even all those that were at the gala that they must have an exit interview with the third party Heenan Hutchinson law firm. So. You know, how many actually did the interview? How many didn't? We don't know. Well, Rennie, didn't he, didn't he sort of suggest it might have been 12 to 13 players may have talked to the law firm? But what I couldn't understand, Kevin, is Rennie claimed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were there, I wasn't. He claimed uh, that he didn't know uh, which players were involved in the assault to this day. Yes, Um So Tom Rennie said four or six players were involved uh, with the interview process with Heenan Hutchinson. And then later in questioning, Scott Smith said, no, there was actually 12 or 13 that conducted the interview. So there was some discrepancy in between uh, Tom Rennie and Scott Smith. Smith saying there was 12 or 13 that took part. Tom Rennie thought maybe four to six that took part in the interview process as the third party. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a non-disclosure agreement between the plaintiffs, the woman, along with Hockey Canada and the lawyers. So we may never know the whole story on this. Hockey Canada played out uh, in May a sizable amount of money. It has been reported $3.55 million. Uh, but, you know, it could go to lawyers, it could go to the woman. You don't know the total figure. But there is a non-disclosure agreement signed, and there's no court charges uh, with the eight players involved. Uh, so this uh, has been swept under the rug. 
But many Canadians and hockey fans all over North America want to hear more from Hockey Canada and what happened that night. Well, I mean, it all it, the investigation ended by the London police, obviously, because of that non-disclosure uh, agreement. Uh, you know, she wouldn't talk to them. And where do you go from there? What's really weird is, you know, this all starts in the summer of, of 2018 and the law firm, you know, doing the third-party investigation has never completed its report. Is that correct? That is correct. In fact, uh, the uh, agreement between Hockey Canada, the lawyers, and uh, the plaintiff was uh, agreed to in February of 2019. So the report has never been finalized. Um, but, you know, there was more questions coming out of Monday's two-hour meeting with Hockey Canada. I think a number of people across this country uh, watched the proceedings and were dismayed. This isn't the mm -hmm. first sexual assault that Hockey Canada has paid out. We heard from Scott Smith there's another two that he knows of, and they, were, uh, they did not want to talk about those incidents. And then today, uh, the federal government said they will suspend uh, the financial contributions to Hockey Canada, which, uh, Donnie, amounts to about $14 million per year. But uh, how was this paid? Was it paid out with taxpayers' money? I don't think so, because on Monday it was revealed that Hockey Canada has millions of dollars in investments, and they simply cashed an investment out and then paid the $3.55 million. So... We don't know if it really was federal money, taxpayer money, but we do know that they did cash out uh, maybe a stock or a bond or investment to pay out this sum of $3.55 Okay, Kevin, we only have one minute left, but obviously the federal government, uh, Pierre, you know, I mean, Justin Trudeau, Pierre, oh my goodness, it's getting late. Justin <laughs> Trudeau wants his own investigation, so does Gary Bettman of the National Hockey League. That That's a condemning uh, situation for Hockey Canada right there and then, is it not? I think so, because Bettman and Joe Daly have talked to the NHL Players Association. Many of the players that were on that team in 2018 are now playing in the NHL. Now, Crazy. during the committee, I made one statement. I'm coming from Saskatchewan. I know the Graham James affair. Well, some of these players, when they're done their playing career, be coaches. And mm -hmm. if so, how will we know that there's an asterisk behind this name? Because if there's a no-disclosure agreement, no court charges, we don't know the eight players. We just know they're John Doe 1-8. to eight. But one of these players turned, you know, to a coaching career later in life. They could have been involved in this, and we have no idea who they are. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Kevin Walken, sort of MP uh, out of Saskatchewan. Uh, Sports Cage continues in just a moment. The Sports Cage podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, advocating for Saskatchewan's older people for 30 years. SKSeniorsMechanism.ca. This is Don Hewitt filling in for Michael Ball, of course, Ballsy is down in Montreal with the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders as they take on the Alouettes uh, tomorrow evening. Sports Cage brought to you by spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win 
$1 million. Uh, let's go now to the Madani Report, brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. Arash Madani uh, joins me on the line. And Arash, absolute chaos in Chicago today. The Jays win 9-5. But a, a Blue Jay coach is kicked out of the game two hours before it started. No, no, no. Don. Okay, got this wrong? Two minutes. Two minutes. Oh, two minutes. Okay. I thought, I didn't think they did lineup cards that early. Okay, you're right. Yeah, two minutes before the ah. game started. Guillermo Martinez, <laughs> the hitting coach, went out with a lineup card and. Uh... Let last night's home plate umpire Doug Eddings know, hey, you missed 26 pitches yesterday, wow. by the way. <laughs> that didn't go over well. And Pete Walker, he as a result, he got heave-hold heave last night. Yesterday, yeah. Or yesterday. I mean, uh, and so yesterday it was, was all fiasco. brewing, eh, eh, a rush? It really was. And last night was a fiasco. Zinger and I were actually texting Don during, during the ball game. Mm -hmm. uh, look, Doug Eddings blew it last night. He on on strike calls, he was accurate on sixty four percent of them. Sixty four percent. The run differential based on his calls was for the White Sox plus two point oh seven, two point oh nine, something like that. And and Don, I'm not suggesting it was malpractice that he was favoring one team over another because it was just incompetence on both sides. <laughs> but that's the point, is that it was absolute incompetence. It was absolute ineptitude, but it absolutely did cost the Blue Jays because the most egregious call, the, the call he actually got worse, worst of all, came in the eighth inning. Santiago Espinal is at the plate. Bases loaded in a, you know, in a tie ball game. Sorry, let me correct myself, Don. Bases loaded. Mm -hmm. Blue Jays lead by two. And with a full count, he rings up Espinal looking. And that ball was almost five inches off the plate. Whoa. So that, that should be a three-run game, not a two-run game. And it ends up being 4-2, turned 4-4 four, four extras, and the Blue Jays lost. So... Um, it was just ugly all around. Now we see the video effect on television. How Sportsnet, uh, you know, shows uh, viewers, uh, you know, with a little ball uh, box rather, and where the ball is, uh, what is a, a called strike or called ball, etc. So you get a pretty good view. Uh, but in today's technology, Arash, with Major League Baseball, like, like there's some sort of data. Uh, go directly to each team, uh, you know, which specifies how good or bad an umpire was? Well, each team has its own evaluation system, but Major League Baseball, and this is the most important one, Major League Baseball has its own. And Major League Baseball will do an evaluation on an umpire, and they'll get that report 24 to 48 hours after a game. And, Don, mm -hmm. the way, you know... When I say 64%, when I say the run differential, that, that's based on something on social media called umpscorecard.com. Again, it's umpscorecard.com, which is actually a very good website, and it's a very good Twitter follow. But Major League Baseball has its own criteria, if you will, and they give the umps a little bit more latitude off 
the edge of the plate an extra inch or so. So Doug Eddings is going to find out just how bad he was. It may not have been 64% under the criteria of MLB, but everybody in that Blue Jay locker room and that Blue Jay dugout knows exactly how bad it was. To the point where Espinal, who's, you know, he's been in a slump, but even his manager, Charlie Montoyo, told him, hey, man, you've been, uh, you've been getting screwed the last couple of weeks. You know, just really bad luck. So, but the answer today, Don, the answer today with, you know, Bo Bichette at a home run, Alejandro Kirk at a home run, and Oscar Hernandez at a home run. It was seven zip J's before we knew it this afternoon in a bounce back game. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes years, Arash, to become a, you know, a, a home base umpire in Major League Baseball. I mean, uh, they're much like players. Uh, they go through the... You know, the single A, the double A, the triple A as umpires, and they only pick the best uh, to get into Major League Baseball. It's not easy to do. So, you know, when you have such bad umpiring like like we had uh, in Chicago with the Blue Jays, uh, and, and in terms of, you know, turnover with, with umpires, I mean, is there much turnover? Do they get a situation where they'll say, well, this guy just can't, ump at this level? I mean, or do guys get very quietly removed and, and the younger umpires quietly come in, or how does that work? Very good question. Um, here's, here's the deal, Don. They, they, once you get into the big leagues and you get hired as a full-time Major League Baseball umpire, you're in a union. You're in the umpire's union. And at that point, you're almost bulletproof. Hmm. I mean, it would. It is harder to get fired as an umpire. That's how ironclad that union is um, than almost anything else. To the point where Angel Hernandez, the veteran umpire, has on three occasions sued Major League Baseball <laughs> for racial discrimination right. mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other things, and he still has kept his job. So... Um, it was a brutal night for Doug Eddings. It cost the Blue Jays uh, some of their bullpen arms. And um, what's the consequence? Answer that's very little. In your opinion, has bad umping ever cost a team a World Series? It's a great question. It's a great question. Um, hmm. They always say it evens out, but does it? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, Don, that there is a losing manager somewhere who came up just short in the World Series. That may have been, you know, mm-hmm. six or seven games who will say yes. But for every bad call that, for instance, uh, came against the Texas Rangers 10, 11 years ago, Texas led three games to two in St. Louis. They're leading in game six in the ninth inning in a routine fly ball, relatively routine fly ball. Nelson Cruz doesn't make the play at the wall. And David Freeze ends up becoming the World Series hero and the World Series MVP, and St. Louis won that World Series. Was there a call or two or three in that game that could have, you know, tilted the tilted the way things shook down, sure. But Nelson Cruz makes that play 
game's over. Texas has won the World Series. I was staying outside the visitors' clubhouse that night in St. Louis. I remember because they kicked the doors open, <laughs> and the same cart that moments before had taken in all the champagne and all the beer and all the World Series champion hats and T-shirts, that same door came kicking out, and they wheeled all that stuff out. So I, I, I don't believe that one call changes a championship unless it's, you know, really bad at the end. But, you know, those guys got to make plays too. Right now, the uh, 2022 class of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame announced uh, uh, Arash, uh, Ricky Ray, Chip Cox, Paul McCallum, a fullback. Nice to see a fullback go in, uh, Tim Tyndale. Uh, Tricky uh, Dicky Thornton, a legendary member of the Toronto Argonauts, go in for the old-timers who remember Tricky Dicky. Uh, Dave Ritchie, the former uh, longtime CFL coach, goes in as a builder, as does uh, Keith Evans of the uh, Calgary Colts. Now, Ricky Ray... And Chip Cox, Arash, they go in the first time they're eligible, first ballot. I guess that's no surprise, is it? It really isn't. And, and Don, I think, you know, Canadian football is so regional. Like, I know in Regina that people, you know, hold Paul McCallum and Roy Shivers. They remember their time. I missed Roy Shivers. Where did I miss him? Didn't yeah. write him down. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, I just, for a moment, just wanted to bring up Chip Cox because mm-hmm. obviously CKRM is you know the number one CFL radio station there is. And for your audience, why am I bringing up Chip Cox? Well, until yesterday, John, there were 22 players ever in the history of Canadian football to ever become first ballot Hall of Famers. And so much of the oxygen was taken up by Ricky Ray, and understandably so. But I'm just going to tell you this. Chip Cox broke in in 2006. Chip Cox played through two generations of Canadian football. Chip Cox could play weak and strong side linebacker. He could play halfback, he could play corner, and he could play safety. And I was trying to think of a comparison yesterday. And I'm not sure there quite is one, but I just remember watching one of those NFL films shows of the way Tom Brady would talk about Ed Reed Mm -hmm. in Baltimore, where teams would spend the entire week worried about one player. That's the impact that Chip Cox had in that Montreal defense for all those years. He was named the most outstanding player on the defensive side one season. He's got a couple of rings longevity, performance, all those things. But he revitalized just how versatile a back-end guy, a linebacker, defensive back, would be in the, in the Canadian game. And he occupied so much of the opponent's time in the week leading up to a game, in terms of game planning instead of offensive coaches, in terms of practice time, to be aware of 11. So, you know, it's a great class. It always is. But not a lot is being said about Chip Cox just mm-hmm. because he was so understated as a player. Yeah. And I just wanted to let you know that is one hell of a football player. And there's a reason he is one of 20, you know, 
think about that, Don. 24 guys have now been first ballot Hall of Famers. He's one of them. Yeah, and he deserves it. I agree with everything you said about uh, Chip Cox and one of the toughest football players uh, I've ever seen for sure. Chip Cox, great comments. Arash, really enjoy it. Uh, giving you a chat. Uh, Sports Cage continues in just a moment. Joining me right now on Sports Cage is CTV Morning Live anchor Daryl Rummelt. And uh, Daryl, a lot of people see you at a news desk. Uh, let us know about your uh, sports broadcasting background. Well, that's what brought me here in 2013. Don, as you'll remember, to do the Grey Cup, which was a two-week stretch of minus 50, and I thought immediately to myself, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and on game day, the skies parted, God shined down across southern Saskatchewan, and the temperatures were all right, and the game was a lot of fun. So spent uh, most of my career in sports and just ended up in mornings, getting up way too early for all of you people out there. And I know you covered sports for a number of years in Lethbridge, uh, Regina product, Rich Preston. You dealt with him when he was running the Hurricanes. Yeah, we had a few run-ins. It was a, it was a tumultuous time for the Hurricanes. They weren't very good <laughs> back then, but and he did he did the best he could with what he was offered. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun, interesting time. Right now, you're uh, sort of a friend or a, a texting buddy, communication buddy with uh, Montreal <laughs> Alouettes quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. That's because, of course, you're an Oregon Duck fan, and uh, and uh, Vernon Adams Jr. played for Oregon. So you take a look at the start of his season there at DR. Uh, he's completed 56, or rather 55.6% of his passes, 264 yards, a touchdown, two picks, 33 yards rushing, but on the whole of it, uh, he sputtered towards the end of the game in Calgary, and uh, it's a game Montreal could have won, probably should have won, but didn't, and then he didn't have a good start at all in Toronto last week against the Argonauts, so you know him a bit, uh, I know he's got COVID, so he's not playing tomorrow night, but can he come back, or, or what do you think's going on with him right now? I apologize in the background. You're hearing my son, Mateo, who really desperately wants to talk to you, Don, because he's a big fan of yours. Uh, <laughs> listen, it's been a hallmark of Vernon Adams' career, right, when he has slow starts and, and finishes very strong. That's why you see the Montreal Alouettes uh, score a lot of points in the fourth quarter because they're, you know, they're trying to play catch-up. And I think early on in that Calgary game, he's trying to do a little bit too much, trying to carry the team by himself. And, and listen, this, this is an Alouettes team that you're going to see uh, – on Thursday night, that's, that's in a little bit of trouble, if we're honest, right? They're without Jake Wieneke. They're without Chris Zaki. Looks like Eugene Lewis has a hamstring injury. He might not play. Nick Usher is going to be out with an illness. Gagnon's out with an illness. Vernon Adams has COVID-19, which is likely why he was pulled from that Toronto game, I'm going to guess. And I don't know this for sure, that he was, uh, you know, contacted partway through the game and said, listen, your test came back and it's not good, so you got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Which uh, we've seen across the CFL and NFL. Because I don't see any, based on the numbers early on in the football game, I don't see any discernible reason why you pull this guy out. 7,000 career passing yards, almost 1,000 career rushing yards, 20 rushing TDs, 43 passing TDs. That's not to say he's the greatest quarterback in the entire league because we've seen a game, but do I think that this is the end for Vernon Adams in, in Montreal? No, I don't. Okay, so you know, if you take a look at the start of the CFL season, you're a Brooks, Alberta lad, uh, Stan Peter fan, we won't. <laughs> hold that against you, a pathetic crowd for the Calgary Stampeders home opener uh, against Montreal. I mean, they claim there was 19,000 there. 
I <laughs> doubt it. What's going in going on in Calgary? Are they marketing that team? Well, I wonder, I wonder Don, if, if any team is really having much success when it comes to attendance. So if you look at the Edmonton game the other night, those seats are green and gold. You saw a lot of green and gold. And unless it was dressed like a chair night and everybody was participating, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure they're doing a bang-up job either. Listen, we're in a tough economy. Craig Reynolds pointed this out to us the other day on CTV Morning Live that we're in a tough economy. Gas is $2 a liter. Here in Saskatchewan, he says 50% of his crowd is coming from out of town. You see it all the time, coming from Davidson, Saskatoon, even further north than that, out as far as Shonovan. You know, fans that, that will come all that way to come and see a football game. And it's, it's hard, right? I mean, everything's going up. Just today we were reporting milk is going up. So you get right. into those situations, and does football become your priority? Spending money on that ticket probably doesn't. I mean, are some of these teams doing a great job of marketing? Is Toronto? Uh, no. Uh, my wife is, is a francophone. Her, her family's all out in Montreal area. And I asked where the Alouettes rank on the entertainment dollar spectrum, and it's below boxing, it's below F1, it's below, you know, a night out on the town. So it's a real struggle for these CFL teams, and I think that was one of the sticking points in the CBA where they were talking about you need players to stay in a city for more than a couple of years so that you can build that fan base. We're not seeing, you know, Don, we're not seeing Ricky Ray stick around in Edmonton or Toronto for 10 years anymore. We're not seeing Doug Flutie in Calgary or Toronto for five, six, seven, eight years anymore. All these guys are moving around year to year to year. What do you think of the quarterbacking in the CFL? You, I mean, you talk about Doug Flutie. It seems like the smaller, talented quarterback that used to leave the U.S. and come up to the CFL, well, they're not coming anymore. They're, they're, they're realizing they're great athletes, and uh, they're, they seem to be staying uh, down in the NFL, uh, I mean, is the quarterbacking uh, the worst that you've seen over the years in the CFL? Well, that's a that's a dangerous apple you throw at me. I, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily bad. Uh, I mean, we you just hit it hit it right on the head. I think that a lot of these athletes that were smaller are now getting a shot. Right? You see a lot of NFL players that are smaller in stature. Russ Wilson comes to mind. Maybe a guy like Julian Edelman, who isn't the biggest guy, was a quarterback turned to receiver in, in the NFL, and he had a lot of success. Is the quarterbacking bad? No. Is it stable? Absolutely not. There's a new crop of quarterbacks that need to establish themselves, like York out in D.C. He's one that comes to mind immediately. He needs to you know, become a star and lead that team. And I, I think what better story can you get than a Canadian kid leading a major franchise in Vancouver, British Columbia, to, to try to rally around, right? Right on. Now, just to let you wrap up talking Stampeders, what a comeback. How did they pull that off in Hamilton? Well, here's the thing, right? You, you got Bowley by Mitchell at quarterback, and until you don't, you always have a chance. And I know Rough Rider fans don't like him, and, and that's fair enough. Rivalries are rivalries, but you got to respect it. Same way you got to respect what Tom Brady did in New England for years and years and years, and somehow is continuing to do it in Tampa Bay. We'll see if you can do it without Gronk this year. I don't know. But, I mean, they have a talented team. They have a good offense. They have a great head coach. And as long as you have those things, you always have a chance. Well, it's, it's probably too early to, to sort of think who's the best in the West, is it not? I mean, do you still think Winnipeg's the team to beat, Daryl? Don Hewitt's the best in the West, and you've been telling me that for about, what, 12 years now. So <laughs> <laughs> we can get that off the table. 
<laughs> you know, Winnipeg's won two great cups in a row. They're the champs. And to be the best, you've got to beat the best. The professional wrestler once said that, right? So until I can see somebody blow the doors off the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they are the favorite. Saskatchewan looks real good, though. And if Cody Fajardo can figure it out and get on a consistent uh, earlier start, because he, he tends to have a, a rougher first quarter, right? Uh, if he can figure it out and put it together with Duke Williams and Shaq Evans producing at, at big levels. And, man, dude, I like, I like Jamal Morrow. I think that guy can run. Yeah, he sure can. Now you're a reasonably new father. Uh, how's fatherhood uh, treating you, Daryl? <laughs> reasonably new. Mateo Andreas is now one year and, uh, I don't know, 10 days old. <laughs> and we were having the time of our life. Daryl, it was great to hear from you. Uh, great some, uh, some thoughts that you had there. And uh, that's it for Sports Cage. Uh, join us tomorrow at 2.30 uh, when our pregame show begins. Uh, Danella Ponticelli, Wes Cates, and myself. Have a good evening, everybody. The Sports Cage podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, working to make affordable home supports for seniors a reality. skseniorsmechanism.ca